Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and since 2014, I've been celebrating and commiserating with best-selling authors, experts, and listeners around the world. All right, mamas, today we're talking motherhood, and we're talking meditation. No, 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 don't, ah, ah. Stick around. It's going to be a really, really fun episode. We're here to celebrate this amazing guidebook called Just Sit, a meditation guidebook for people who know they should but don't. That sounds a lot like me. I talk about meditating way more than I actually meditate. And first, I want to kick off this episode by sharing sort of my own little journey with meditation. In 2012, after I had recovered from a massive bone dissolving tumor in my leg where I had to really learn how to like sit on my ass and be okay with that. I got into meditation a little bit and I ended up with this crazy idea that I should go on a seven day silent meditation retreat. And so I wrote this little piece and I'm sharing it with you all. I wrote it years ago, but I want to share it with you all so that you understand that I am also someone who is not like a natural. Are you having one of those eat, pray, love breakdowns? My mother asks, calling from her law office. I imagine her shouting on speakerphone, hovering over the thick black binders piled on her desk. I mean, what does Adam say about this? Adam finds nothing funnier than the idea of me taking a vow of silence for an entire week. My mother doesn't think it's funny. To her, it's disturbing. She's anxious for our marriage, and she thinks he should be too. Adam is a good guy, the best I'll ever get, and the good guy is always spiritual collateral. I mean, look at Elizabeth Gilbert and Cheryl Strayed and their poor first husbands. Spiritual journeys lead to singledom. They also lead to tunics and tofu and free-flowing body hair and cult leaders. Why are you doing this, she implores. I tell her I've chosen the meditation retreat in order to A, focus my mind, and B, cultivate loving kindness. She counters that A, I could focus my mind by enrolling in law school, and B, I could cultivate loving kindness by making her a grandma. Meditation is not as strange as it seems, I explain. It's sort of like therapy. Both are about bringing non-judgmental awareness to one's thoughts, or in my case, non-judgmental awareness to my overwhelmingly judgmental thoughts. This would be better if I shouldn't have done that. I wish I were more. Why does she get? If only I had. This could go terribly wrong when... This is the critical, unoriginal, and relentless commentary that disconnects me from all that is good. It's like listening to a panel of Fox News commentators and Real Housewives. Meditation promises to give me the tools to evict my tribunal of assholes once and for all. So everybody, I went on this crazy-ass retreat, and I really wish I had had this book because I would have sent it to my mother, but it would have been so comforting for me to have it for myself. Because when I went to Spirit Rock in 2012, it was like landing on the hippie moon. And I loved it. But like even just what the cushions were. And you guys have these illustrations. It's like (laughs) such a great, it's kind of like the gateway drug of meditation. It's like, watch out, guys. Once you have this book, you're going to start feeling more comfortable with it. And like you'll start bringing it into your everyday life. And this could be a game changer for some of us. So today... My guests are Suki and Elizabeth Novogratz. They are two of the founders of the celebrated newsletter, The Well Daily. Elizabeth is the co-author of Downtown Chic and Home by Novogratz and lives in Brooklyn, New York. Suki is the executive producer of the acclaimed documentary, The Hunting Ground, which we will also get to later. And together, these sisters-in-laws have written this book. So, Beth, 
Yes. Uh, okay, seven kids in your family growing up. You all shared a bathroom. Yes. So how in the hell did you ever get to a place where you would feel comfortable being in silence? Well, that's exactly why and how I got to a place where silence was the answer. Um, No, it was really fun growing up, but it was a lot of chaos and a lot of people and not a lot of personal space or time per se. But I think once meditation entered the picture of my life, it was such a retreat that I didn't know existed. I was like, oh, where have you been? I didn't have the, like, I think my struggle in the beginning was making the time and showing up like most people's, but I didn't have the, I don't think as much resistance probably as a lot of people because it was such a welcoming space to have that. I was the middle child. I was, you know, it was, I just, it was just. So you had seven kids, you're really in the middle. Yeah. And I was really, really in the middle. And like, (laughs) like, and so it was, it became, it was like. As an adult, it was like, wow, this place has been here this whole time. So there was something very homecoming feeling about it once I discovered it, for sure. And Suki, you have four children. I do. So what would you say to mothers that say they don't have time to meditate? Well, you know, I believe that too. I mean, I wish I had this practice when I had, my kids were little. I came to it later. I mean, I knew about it because my father taught me when I was when I was young, when I was you know five and. And, and, you know, until I went to boarding school, I was doing practicing with him, but then I dropped it like a hot potato and I didn't really see it as a tool, um, until later in life. And then it was sort of, I had to make the time. Otherwise I wasn't going to be, you know, available for my kids or be a good wife or, or a good friend or a good human because I had all these other things that were sort of building up that I needed to pay attention to. I read that your husband suggested that you meditate again, that you pick it back up when you were grieving for the loss of your father. And I'm wondering, can you share a little bit about that moment? Like, do you remember where you were when you first sat back down again? Well, I mean, it was pretty nice because it was in Fiji. So like my husband, we, we, we went away and, um, and it was something that was new for him. And I'm grateful that he was there. You know, I needed a buddy because I definitely felt really awkward and I felt like people were trying to fix me, particularly my husband. Like, you know, you need, you need help and meditation will help you and this might fix you. And, you know, that, that sets me and most people yes. um, on, on, uh, on edge. Um, was he, he wasn't meditating at the time though. He wasn't, but he was a big promoter. You oh, know, see, he's he, like me. We're the worst. Yeah. He was just like, this is fantastic for you. Yeah. It's like this podcast, everybody else meditate. I'm just going to talk about meditating, kind of like parenting. I really like talking about parenting (laughs) and actually doing it is so much harder. It's a lot more fun to just be like, no, you should really be present with your child, you know, when you're on the playground. (laughs) Put away your phone. No. Anyway, um, enough about me. So you were in Fiji and um, he suggests that you meditate and you felt a little defensive about feeling like you need to be fixed. I similarly... When I had signed up to do this retreat, and this again in 2012, like it was not what it is today, especially coming from like Republicans in Texas. Like my parents were just like, oh my God, why did we ever let you go to Smith College in Western Massachusetts? Like, why? Like you should have stayed <laughs> in Texas. Like, what has happened to you? Um, and you're in LA, those crazy, you know, 
really. Anyway, when I told people I was going to go do this meditation retreat, I thought people would be like, oh, that's really cool and exciting and gutsy. And instead, some of the responses, I got an email that said, I hope you find what you're looking for. But I took that so defensively. And I was like, oh, I, I'm doing this because I'm missing something. And I, I sh- I've been found out that mm-hmm. there's a part of me that that needs fixing. And so when you did decide to do this anyway, what was that like? How long did you sit for the first time? And Well, we had these monks from India, so they had this whole program set up in, in these 10 days. You know? Okay, so it was um, a meditation retreat. It was a meditation Fiji. retreat, Amazing. yeah. And I definitely resisted the whole time, and I judged the shit out of everyone. You know, I was just like, oh, yeah. you know, and it was really, I was very uptight. Because everyone there like like to hug, you know, and I was like, you know, <laughs> I'm a Scorpio, I don't hug, you know, um, and uh, and so like I was sort of, I mean, I was horrible. I mean, if I look back, you know, people who I know from that retreat now, they're yeah. like, oh yeah, you were like, mm-hmm. we were all like, we're gonna get through to her, um, yeah, and uh, and you know, there was a moment, at the, yeah, I was a project, <laughs> Which I was, they could work on by exactly. the way, like, I mean, I was a disaster, uh, no. and my husband, you know, is like, he's one of those people that he gets someplace and he like becomes the best student, you know. And and at the end of the meditation, and many times these monks will have like a hug or some sort of experience. Um, and you're all there in a group, and you're waiting in line, and it's you know the it's the you know the lights are all low and the candles are lit, and I'm feeling a little awkward, and everyone's feeling something, and I'm like, you know, what did we just do here? Did everyone drink the Kool Aid? And uh-huh. and uh, and I'm filled with judgment, resisting, 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 but still in the line. I'm waiting to get my hug. <laughs> And, you know, and I'm like, why am I waiting to get a hug? And why does my husband think this is so normal? And I'm thinking, this is so crazy. But anyway, and then finally, it gets to my time to, to get the hug. And I'm hugging this monk. And it's nothing creepy at all. It's all very sort of kind. And then I hear this person laughing. You know, and I'm like, really? Like, really? You guys, this is like a sacred space here. Like, would you stop? I'm getting my hug now. Okay, who's laughing at me, right? And then I sort of come out of it, out of the hug, and I'm falling down. I'm the one that's laughing, you know. And that sort of like shifted everything for me. Of just sort of like, what? Like, can I just let go? And 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 that hug allowed me to let go and make fun of myself. Like, okay, I'm the one that's disrupting everyone's moment here, and it's okay because I found. I'd connected to something, some real sort of joy and bliss that was, you know, allowed me to be more present in that experience. With marrying into a family of seven children, and you guys were college, were you guys college sweethearts? You both went No, we both went to Princeton, but we met after, I mean, I was a senior and he was already working in New York. We had friends in common, but we, we, we sort of knew of each other in college, but... We didn't date. And did you have did you have siblings? I have up? one older sister. Okay, so small family joining into enormous family, and then you guys have co created this awesome book together. What advice do each of you guys have for sister in laws? We've we've had, we've done a lot, collaborated on a lot of things together over the years, but we've been close since the nineties, and so <laughs> yeah, at least sounds like there's right? a book there and. Uh, <laughs> and so it's always felt very natural. And I, th- one of the reasons, I think, is when Suki came into our family, she really came into our family. She was the first outsider. Um, <laughs> oh, trust me, I, I was, was an outsider. I was still in college. 
Um, so it, it, like, and the younger part of the family was, we were like, there was a, so she felt more like a sibling almost. Mm-hmm. And so, and she started this trend where after that, pretty much everyone who married in became more another sibling. Mm-hmm. And so, which has made everybody extremely close. But that's how it began. And so we've always had more of a sisterly relationship without having a lot of, you know, the drama that some sisters have. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's worked really well. Yeah. And I wanted to be part of a big family. Like my sister and I are only, we're born same day, 10 years apart. And wow. my parents are, you know, from big families, Puerto Rican Catholic families. My mom, one of nine, my father, one of 10. And they lived stateside while everyone else lived still in Puerto Rico. And my, and my sister and I would hear all these great stories, you know, mm-hmm. big family stories, da, da, da. And, and we were sort of jealous. We're like, we sort of like lost out on this. And so both, you know, my sister and I, we both married in families of seven. Because wow, that's we, no accident. Right. You know, so we were, even though, you know, I don't think I was consciously looking, I certainly, you know, every cell in my body was sort of seeking mm-hmm. that kind of community. Do you have any advice for me about, like, because I, <laughs> my half-brother is nine years younger than me. And so I grew up like as an only child for a really long time. My husband has three siblings and they're all, they're just so, it's a clan, right? Like it's a, it's a beautiful, awesome tribe of wonderful people. And there are moments when I get a little overwhelmed by like, it's like a pile of puppies. So can the Scorpio and you like give me some advice about like <laughs> how to not come across as uptight as I naturally am? <laughs> Well, you know, I think the beauty of family is that the more you are really yourself, the more you allow everyone else to be themselves and so that you can actually be real with each other and so that they can cut you the slack because, you know, oh, that's just Suki being a Scorpio. She needs her space or whatever. And I think that sort of, you know, that level of acceptance has to be part of the family sort of like mantra. And um, I mean, your thoughts, Beth, on that? No, I, I mean, agree. I definitely agree. One of the things that I love about, going back to your book for a second, what I love about Just Sit is how you guys are constantly reminding the reader that you don't have to do it right. You don't have to do it perfectly. And you're giving us the out all the time. Like you answer some silly questions like, can I do this after I've been drinking? You're like, sure, try it out. It might not work for you, but try it out. I find that in my life when I am attempting something new, that if I'm not automatically great at it, there's like a really good chance that I just want to quit, right? Absolutely. Unless I'm really passionate about it, like this podcast. Then I can jump over those hurdles. But what I love is that you guys set the, like, thank God, like set the bar low, people. Like Exactly. <laughs> well, I think with, with we really wanted people to open that door to so many, we, because we had this website and we were getting all this email from people who met, they felt meditation was really for other people or like exclusive or inaccessible. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many roadblocks that we make up in our heads about yes. meditation that don't even really exist, but it's so easy to be like, oh, it's for them or it's, that's not really me or, and right. so or like, I need the right equipment, right? right? Like, oh my God. Or in I three need the right years spot. when my kids start school, that's yes. when I'll get in a, I'll get in a routine. But the right Sunday now, how could I have it. a routine? So I can't do it. So that we were like, if we could just get people to show up and that be the point of the book is how to show up. Especially since, Um, you know, in our experience of like traveling and trying it out ourselves, we were doing it perfectly. We were sort of constantly fumbling forwards. You know, we weren't Pema and had everything, you know, mm -hmm. had a long practice and this and that. But yet 
in our everyday, you know, fumbling towards, you know, getting better exploring, it dramatically changed our lives. Even the small moments that we did it or the times that we didn't feel were very successful, whatever that means anyway, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it definitely impacted our lives. And so that's what we th- were like, whoa, like, you know, in any bit of it, um, it helps. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it's such a small, in the big picture, even though it really is a challenge in the beginning, especially to get yourself to show up every day, it's a really small commitment in the big picture of mm-hmm. life for what you get back. Like, mm-hmm. And that's yeah. what you have to, you just have to believe that for a long time until you see it. And so that belief, I think, needs to be really, that's there too, because you get so much back and it doesn't even make sense until you actually start feeling it. You can't explain to somebody like how great it is and have them actually believe you until they sit and are and then they see themselves in a situation where they're responding and they're not reactive and right. their relationships start shifting and all of a sudden they're like a way easier mom or mm-hmm. they're so much better to their husband and they're all they're thinking, Oh wait, he's changed. But no, you've changed. Like right. those mo- moments are huge. That is so huge. And I just had the authors of The Self-Driven Child on and Dr. Bill Sticksrude is a clinical neuropsychologist and he talks about transcendental meditation and how much it's changed his life and how much he encourages children to start meditating. And I, he, he was just so relaxed and so chill and so nice. And I just find that people who meditate, for the most part, like they're just not assholes. Because they're so kind, it brings out like the nice, like I'm a better person. Like, I am elevated when I'm around other people who are actually meditating. And I love that you talk about how, like, when you are dealing with difficult people, which, by the way, happens all the time, especially as a parent, you guys, you talk about how, like, if there's someone that's in your life that's a pain in the butt, like, use that. Like, learn something from it. So I'm going to give you guys an example. Yesterday, I was at the pediatrician. Six month checkup. She's doing great. Ninety fifth percentile for weight, height, and head. She's the most massive. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, and, she's very smart. Oh, um, sure. <laughs> big brain. Big brain. Big brain. That's all I keep saying. No, she looks. She's great. She looks great. I'm so LA. My daughter. My six month old. She looks great. But she, I was trying to put the stroller in the back of the car. And I could not get the hatch down. And it's because I've got this huge target box that I've been meaning to return forever. I've got all this crap, right? And I can't shut it. And then the parking attendant guy is just staring. He'd already annoyed me earlier because he had asked me to move my car over, but I wanted the space so I could open the side door for my daughter because that's a problem with car seats. When cars are too parked too close, you can't get your baby out of the car seat. So anyway, I was already like annoyed with him, right? This is all my stuff. So he finally comes over to mansplain to me that the hatch won't close because, like, a sensor's covered because there's too much stuff in the back of the car. And I wanted to just, like, freak out on him. Like, people are constantly telling parents, like, what the, the most obvious things as though they're helpful. Like, oh, your baby's crying because she's hungry or your baby's, you know, like, whatever. Like, yeah, of course, I don't have, I can't shut my thing. And then I spiral, right? So what was that guy in the parking garage teaching me, ladies? <laughs> I don't know that one. <laughs> you know, teaching you patience, patience. right? Uh, um, patience. You know, my favorite thing is say thank you so much. You know, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, and uh, and then because it's also teaching you how to let go, 
right? Oh, that's the one I'm just, yeah. guys, I'm so resistant. Yeah. It's hard. It, you know, because it's human. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, you know, my doula would always say, you bore me with normal. And I loved that. Yeah. yeah. You bore me with, because I'd be like, oh, she's da-da-da. You bore me with normal. And right. I felt such comfort in that. It's true. Because you're like, true. oh, it's not just me. Like, we're all in on this. Yeah. I read in the book they used to smoke a pack and a half a yeah, day. So I you've did. had quite a transformation. I have. And it wasn't really that planned either. It just happened. Mostly because of meditation. You know, I think one thing that happens when you really kind of, I mean, it's not like I had this crazy practice where I was meditating two hours a day, 20 minutes in the morning, but very consistent and very disciplined about it. Um, and it, and over time, things just started falling away, including this like insane identity that not only did I smoke a pack and a half, two packs a day, but that was who I was. And so it wasn't even just the crazy addiction, mm-hmm. but it was like the attachment to the addiction and the attachment to the, that was me and um, that's your thing. Yeah. Especially if you imagine at, growing up with so many siblings. Yeah. Like, it you was just, probably that was had my your es- thing. It was my escape. It was my like, yeah, it was a lot of things. And so, and that was one of the more like tangible watching that just kind of fall away. Mm-hmm. And uh, and literally it made quitting smoking, not easy is not the right word, but it did make it easy. It, it made it like I wasn't attached when I quit. And so... I watched myself like become unaddicted, like watch that process of how addicted I was physically. But I, I there was no like emotional anger. Like I just didn't have all that stuff that's so usually connected to when people quit something that they're that addicted to. Mm-hmm. I didn't go through any of that. It was much more of a very robotic experience. Like wow, I'm so addicted to cigarettes. It's crazy. Um, and just kind of watching like. The physicality. But, uh, and and that was really, like I said, like a metaphor for so much of what I let go of throughout the past mm-hmm. so many years of just parts of identity that you think are so necessary that you carry around and wear as a shield or, and none of it means anything. And I think the more you sit and just get to know yourself and trust that everything's okay without any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you believe it. And without even this, it's not even this big dialogue. It just starts, you start transforming and it's, there is a magic to it. I also was wondering if you guys would share with our listeners a little bit about conditioning and the story you share about baby elephants and how they're conditioned. Because it's something that yeah. we really need yeah. to look at when we're raising our children, too. Like what are what limits are we putting on them? So tell us the elephant well, so story. So often, when baby elephants are captured or stolen from their mothers, which is horrible to begin with, but aside from that, they are chained or tied to a tree, and they're kept on a very short leash, and that is how, but you know, by one of their feet um, or legs, and that is how they are trained, and then over time, the tether can be removed, but they still, because they've had that tether for so long, they still think the tether is there. And so they don't go anywhere um, because the conditioning is you are, you have a four foot diameter where you're allowed to walk. And in so many ways, we do this to ourselves. 
um, emotionally with baggage, with things that happened in eighth grade, <laughs> with the teacher that told you, you know, you would never, mm-hmm. you shouldn't become a scientist because you suck at science. And even though that's all you've ever wanted to be. And sometimes um, you don't even remember. Like, I remember my sister had this moment of, you know, she's always very crafty, but always, you know, like, didn't see herself as really artistic person. And then one day she had this, like, recovered this memory of just like, wait a second. It was the fourth grade. It was that, like, crappy girl who mm-hmm. like, didn't like my picture. And she says, mm-hmm. oh, you're really not good at that. And she's like, and I believed it. I've been holding on to that. And she's like, wait, because of, like, this fourth grade experience? I mean, there's probably more to that. But that was sort of what unlocked her. Of course. To, like, you know, she's, like, you know, Miss Crafty Girl now all the time. That's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was always my voice, right? You have a terrible voice. Terrible voice. And then I have a podcast. Like, got to get over it. You do. But... Have a terrible voice. No, you have a great voice. No, you have a great voice. You do have a great voice. But often we don't even know we have the fear because no. we sort of tell ourselves, oh, I'm, I'm just not, not a that kind person. of person. You know? Totally. I said it all the time about cooking. I'm, well, right. I'll try again. Right. But yes. And we are so comfortable in our boxes. And we're we're really comfortable also of like the negative parts of our boxes. Oh, yeah. And and the things that hold us down, and the, and we like wear them like badges, and they're not even mm. true most of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, we just like put the badge on and walk around with like, and it gives us like an excuse to be bitter about something or sullen about something, and it's not even true. Yeah, yeah. It's and not so, even true. but then then you have to be gutsy enough to start the unraveling, right? right. Or the start the start the sitting, start the shedding. Yeah, and, and really not and, and also let go of the benefits you may have received from holding on to that story. Yep. Right. There is a bonus, right? We keep doing something because it works in right. some way. Whether it's just reinforcing our story right. that I am not worthy of love or whatever. Right. So moms, I want you to think about you're an elephant. You're a big elephant now. You're like a big rock star elephant. You're huge. You have so much power. And you still have this little rope, <laughs> this dinky little rope connected to the ground. Because when you were being raised, you were told that you had to stay there. And you, and you, at the time, you were little and you couldn't pull away from the rope. And, and so you lived with it and you got comfortable in sort of the area you were allowed to be in. We're here to tell you today, like, break the f- rope. Like, and where will you go? And that's, it can be scary, but it can be exciting. And it's important because our children need to also see that, like, when we can be fully embodied in our power, they will see that that is also possible for them as they grow up. And they should be testing that rope. Um, I say that because my four-year-old Sabrina, I'm always calling her a Mustang. She has no problem (laughs) testing. (laughs) That's a problem right now. I mean, that, I thought that was so, so beautiful. This book just, it's so funny because there are all these great little illustrations and funny moments. Uh, you talk about how when you meditate, you might get really sleepy, kind of like Dorothy in the poppy field, which was totally true for me. And many of you mothers who are starting out, sorry, it's probably going to happen to you, especially because you are tired. Because part of the problem is you <laughs> end up recognizing like all the ways that you need to be taking care of yourself. Absolutely. Um, but... I really love how you talk about being impeccable with your words. And you say, you know, ask yourself, is it helpful? Is it true? Is it kind? Who is it for? Why am I saying it? Do I need to say it? 
And that is just such a beautiful thing for us to carry into our relationships with our partners and our children. And you guys are giving us tools that can really, you know, they bleed is the wrong word, but like bleed throughout like the rest of our day. It's not just about that 10 minutes. It's about how sort of it it carries through. What was the most stressful moment in creating this book about meditation? For me, one thing that was, there was like a, a kind of a huge crisis happened during this. And it was the first time I really recognized the power of meditation in a big, big way. And I was with my mother and my two sisters. And and I was watching, because such craziness was happening, I was watching everybody kind of go into their role. Mm. Because that's what we do in big, crazy, horrible situations. And as I watched everyone go into their role, I was like, wait, I don't have to go into mine. And instead, I can actually be helpful right now in a different kind of way. And my role would have been, you know, like not helpful. To say it nice. <laughs> and, you know, it would have played into a drama. Mm-hmm. And instead, I could pull back and really genuinely give without, without, without drama, if that makes sense. And like the next day, I was like, who was that? It was so almost unrecognizable. Not the me, because that was me for sure. But it was just, it was literally this like, almost like came out of nowhere, like power to pull myself out and and ask those kind of questions. Uh, How can I be helpful? What What is the best way I can be of use right now? Without having to like pull myself out or screw up first and then mm. punish myself and then what should I have done? And, mm-hmm. and instead, it was such a, I, I can't, it, that was the kind of the transformative moment for me while we wrote this and made it wh- why we kind of had to share it. And I think to share it in a way that makes it accessible for people, you know, that we were so lucky that we had each other. And so, you know, that's one thing we recommend, like find a buddy. I mean, we're lucky that we meditate together when we're working together, you know, every day. But if you don't have that person, you know, um, find that person and you can sort of, you know, do it at the same time, but you're in different places. And that's been really helpful. And and so we wanted this this book to sort of help people on that journey. If they didn't have their girlfriend, they could just access us, um, mm-hmm. but to really encourage them to uh, to start a practice because we just kept on seeing it everywhere impacting our lives in such positive ways and we're like and we're not, like we're not doing it for like ten hours a day um, right. twenty minutes yeah twenty minutes and I think even if you don't have like a friend to meditate with or uh, to have somebody who you're actually in the whole process with to talk about it with mm-hmm. or to say what I, like what I just said to have to go through discoveries with or mm-hmm. you know how you feel like you've changed because saying it out loud and sharing it with someone makes it a lot more because it's such not tangible stuff. It's really helpful to have somebody to process with, I think. And then you'll notice that people like in your life, like your kids will point it out to you. Like you might not notice the changes in yourself because you're so busy, Mm -hmm. you know, you're meditating, but you're also have this busy life. And then your daughter will say, Oh, wow. Like you've never responded like that before. You know, and you're like, you're right. You know, (sighs) normally I would be, you know, like screwing my head off right now. Right. More reactive. There's more space. Yeah. You know, and so you may not even notice it in yourself, but other people will start putting it out. And you're like, all right. And it's also interesting to watch other people 
like Beth, with you saying that you chose not to play that role, like how it can kind of throw other people off their game Absolutely. at times. And that can be really fascinating to watch. Yeah. Um, because sometimes they're like, wait, why are you, why aren't, wait, I thought we had this dance that we do and you're choosing not to do the dance. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and it shifts the whole relationship. Yeah. And everyone and, grows. And, and in a permanent mm. way, too. It really makes massive shifts. In one moment, it can shift everything. I love that you all write, if you are feeling old and worn out for no reason, and your light has dimmed and your spark has faded, we have something very important to tell you. Nothing external is going to turn that shit back on, but meditation can help. It will allow you to become friends with yourself, to develop love and compassion and curiosity for you, which will give you the spark you need. Suki, was there a moment when you felt like your light was dimmed? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, my my girls see it in my photos. They're like, like, mom, like, wow, like bad haircut. Like what was going on? You know, like they, they, call, me, they call me Benjamin Buttons because I look so much better now. You know, they're like, like the lost years, you know, and wow. And, and yeah, like I was so like, I did not have my shine on. And I thought that like giving out to everyone that that was going to be the way, which was all the way to avoid myself. And oh, mamas, did you just hear that? Boom. That was crazy. <laughs> Tell us more about that. Yeah. Like it was just easier to, you know, you wake up in the morning and take care of all my kids. In fact, you know, I kept on having them probably at one level because like, ooh, like, you know, don't have too much space or time available <laughs> to myself. Yes. Otherwise, I'm going to have to deal with that shit, um, which yes. was a lot, you know, and um, and my husband knew and he was very supportive. But, you know, my father, you know, death sort of broke open so I could sort of deal with some past history that allowed me to finally, you know, deal with all those demons that you sort of lock in a box from like when you're 17 or 22. Mm-hmm. Then when you approach your 40s, you're like, oh, like that that dulls you like nothing in your in your life can ever dull you. So, you know, and, and I knew that I was on the other side when, you know, I'm having lunch with a girlfriend and she's like, okay, so tell me, like, you know, did you get your hair lighter? Did you like, mm. did you do your teeth? Mm-hmm. You know, what's going on? You look, you look really great. I'm like, well, I got my eyelashes done. But besides that, like, you know, what you want to purchase, you can't, you know, it's an inside job, you know, and that's what they were tapping into. Cause I, you know, like had found that kind of constant, you know, contentedness, happiness, okayness, mm-hmm. um, that allowed me to be free to be who I want to be in the world and more connected to everyone and everything. Like I said, it's not that big of an investment for what you get back. I mean, right. No, because I mean, and, you know, your husband has a background as a hedge fund manager. Like you literally, listeners, like w- w- you could buy anything in the world if you could, like to get that light, right? Like the resources are limitless. If Suki wanted to buy something to light up her life, she would be she would be able to do that. And she's telling you, no, it's all, it's all in us. It's all in us right now. Exactly. What do you say to a mother who is running, running, running? I am like the queen of that, by the way. Uh, running away from everything. Oh, it's so chaotic. I don't have time to think about other stuff. Oh, I'm so, I'm doing everything for everyone else. Like, what all this bullshit, right? Because I'm not comfortable at times with just being like, oh, this is where I am right now. Like it's about trying to fix and hide and everything else. 
So what do you say to a mother who knows deep down, though, that she's running and hiding because she had a traumatic experience and because she's afraid that if she sits and meditates on her own or with a girlfriend, that the container won't be strong enough to hold her? Well, I definitely felt that. And I remember talking to a teacher and he was just like, you sweetheart, I know it feels like you're like you're, you're you're pressing into a shard of glass right now, and that if you press all the way through, like you're going to expire. He's like, but trust me, don't leave before you learn all your lessons, because then the shard never is out of your side. And you know that allowed me to move through it, and I'm so grateful because yeah, I did die, but like that shitty, horrible you know, when limited self, you, you know, you do die, but it's a psychological mm-hmm. death. And, and, you know, it's, um, and my feeling is that, you know, when you see a mother in that state, unfortunately, you know, only she knows when it's the right time to do that. You can't present that to someone. You could sort of talk about it and talk about your own experience, but their perfect time to go through it is on their timetable. I feel like there's going to be a mother out there listening right now, and this could really shake things up for her. And that's so cool. Like the reason we don't sit sometimes is because we are afraid. We're afraid of what we'll find. But like you are worthy of love. And um, Sharon Salzberg, who is one of your teachers, I want to share this real quick. She wrote, you are a person worthy of love. You don't have to do anything to prove that. You don't have to climb Mount Everest write a catchy tune that goes viral on YouTube, or be the CEO of a tech startup who cooks every meal from scratch using ingredients plucked from your organic garden. If you've never received an award and there are no plaques proclaiming your exceptional gifts hanging on your walls, you still deserve all the love in the world. You do not have to earn love. You simply have to exist. When we see ourselves and see life more clearly, we come to rely on that. We remember that we do deserve the blessing of love. Suki, you also do a lot of work with the Joyful Heart Foundation. Um, And I'm wondering if you could introduce our listeners to a little bit about that foundation. Well, the Joyful Heart Foundation was started by Mariska Hagerty. Her character in the Law & Order um, is a product of rape. And when she was a young star, she was receiving all these letters from uh, readers, 11 to 24, sharing their their um, experiences of sexual assault or domestic violence or for the first time. And she just felt all this obligation or just like the, her, I mean, her heart's so big. She's just like, wait, I'm making all this money. I'm a successful mm-hmm. actor based on these women's support. And so she started this organization um, really to sort of support survivors. And then it became a much bigger policy angle and also wanted to change culture, which right now is a big culture change. And uh, and so it's been really exciting to uh, work with the board and, and do very exciting things. And with your past history, you were you've spoken about how when you were going into Princeton, it was the summer before starting Princeton. I was sexually assaulted. I was seventeen, and you know I would do therapy for like a month um, or so. But like you know, even my parents who were both social workers, therapists. They were like, you know, honey, you got like school. You got to like you know. Get 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 your head case on, don't you know? You got to be strong, 
And I get it as a parent, you know, but I, and so I did, I dug in and for two years I was a zombie, um, mm-hmm. totally disconnected from my body, just functioning. And, uh, and then I had sex for the first time and then all the memories came back and then I took a year off and to process, which I thought I did. But again, you know, these things are all tricky and, mm-hmm. and there's no straight line. And so then I put it in another box. This one I thought was a little sort of cleaner, but you know, still a box. Mm-hmm. Um, and then didn't really sort of fully come to terms with all the pain till my daughters were getting close to the age that it happened to me. So it's sort of this yeah. morning sign of just like, and so that's where Joyful Heart was really helpful to me in terms of helping me um, with the language and the, and, and the skills to sort of share those stories with my daughter and then my sons and, uh, and, and sort of creating freedom around that subject with my you know, family and friends. Mm-hmm. And if there's a mother out there right now who's listening who has an experience like this and she has it in a box— for, you know, for a later time when she's a, when she has the tools to be able to process it and all of this Me Too stuff is coming out right now on a daily yeah. basis, which would be bringing up all of these things again. Should they go to this website? Where can they get some tools and support? Absolutely. Joyful Heart. They can definitely get information there where to sort of source locally to get help. Yeah. And I encourage because, you know, transformation is really possible um, to joy. And I love that that needing to be able to support your daughters and to have honest conversations with them. And it's, I mean, parenting just to me is it's such a trip, man. It's like any experience you have, you end up re-experiencing it at the age of your child, or at least that's what a lot of the, lot of the yeah. experts have said well, on the show. And you sort of feel like what you don't transform, you transmit. And mm, so what yes, it's going back to that glass. Yes. So what are you what like what are you communicating? Shards, you know, yeah. exactly. And yeah. so and that, you know, it, it it's you know, the freedom of of being in dialogue with my kids in this way and knowing that it's like a protective bubble, you know, like not to say that they, they can't be harmed, but you know, they'll know like whatever trauma might they may experience that they are supported, that they are loved, that they know how to connect and not be mm. alone. Beautiful. Beth, what are you going to do to celebrate this book? <laughs> I think we've, we have a party tonight. Um, we've, I think we've done a lot of celebrating since the beginning with Suki and I. Why One of the reasons why, why we wanted to share this so much, too, was to get the stigma that meditation is, is not really about joy. It's about seriousness or mm-hmm. about like, really coming to terms. We had so <laughs> much fun. Yeah. doing this and and literally like laughing our way through retreats when you're not supposed to talk and we'd be like giggling and falling out of chairs. Fall out of chairs, and, literally. And, yeah. And we just and look like, at each other and fall out of chairs. It was joy laughing. the whole time. And the truth is, I mean, enlightenment is lightening up. And mm. and so it, it has been a celebration like from the beginning. And so yeah, it still feels like one. Like a sense of freedom. Yeah. Freedom in living. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think women and men all need to be, you know, get free. But I think so many women just don't allow themselves. They don't even allow themselves to look at where they're not free. And and, I, and meditation is such just an, it's an easy space for that to, to see the limitations and to see, wow, 
I don't have to sit in this anymore. I can actually move over there. And instead, what we do, especially women, is we just kind of scooch over, raise our head a little higher, and make ourselves more and more uncomfortable just because we're so afraid to leave one spot. So and, afraid, and afraid to ask for what we need. Right. And we um, On this retreat that I did, they had this rule where you weren't supposed to use, like, fragrance conditioners and stuff, right? And I had... I had fragrance in my <laughs> and I finally broke down. Like it was like the second to last day, and I was like, "I'm gonna use my conditioner." <laughs> sure. And then, and I was like, "Oh, it'll be fine." But then I got really self conscious about <laughs> like how it smells, like you know, Garnier in the meditation hall, right? And my hair was wet, and I had the day before asked for a, a special little seat. I should pull up in your book you can tell me which kind it was it was it was basically it had back support right because my back was killing me so I had written on a little card I totally forgot about it then you know I show up in the hall my hair is wet I think everyone can smell my hair conditioner (laughs) and the um the leader the meditation teacher was up at the he went to the you know, I'll call it the stage. It's not the stage. <laughs> and he whispers to somebody else, and I swear he's talking about yeah. my hair conditioner. <laughs> and I'm going to get in so much trouble because of my Garnier hair conditioner. And I, and then I'm like, Ellie, shut up. He's not talking about your hair conditioner. This isn't all about you. There's like 70 other people in this room. He's not talking about you. <laughs> then he stands up and he starts walking past all these people and he walks straight to me and I'm like oh my god I'm getting expelled from the meditation retreat <laughs> air conditioner oh, no. and he goes you had requested uh, the, the special seat with the back right uh, we held on to we found another one for you and I was like oh I wasn't oh. in trouble like I asked for something, and then, like, they were actually taking care of me. I was being taken care of. But how Uh, often do we do that every day? We just, like, assume it's about us or assume it's it's about us. It's definitely a bad thing, right? It can't be that we're being supported. Of course. It's always we're in trouble. Or what did we do? Why did we say that? And, and like, letting yourself off the hook and that realization that it's not ever about you, unfortunately, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, right. it is so rare that it's about you. Yeah, that, and sometimes it's uh, positive when right. it is. Right. Well, it's hard to get outside of our own thinking. We see things as we are. Right. Mm. Right? That's mm-hmm. where your state of mind is, right? Yeah. Um, oh. Is there anything else? You guys, any pressing needs or desires to share with mothers around the world? Just sit. Please, just sit. Trust trust us. Okay. Just start. Everybody, uh, Suki and Elizabeth Novogratz, they have the book Just Sit, a meditation guidebook for people who know they should but don't. That includes me. And just watch, listeners, over the next several months as I finally commit to actually sitting every day. I mean... Just think how incredible. Well, see, wait a minute. I got the expectations coming out. Exactly. <laughs> Check that box. <laughs> Until next week, everyone, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, rock on, Atomic Moms. <laughs> <laughs>